we're going to open up God's Word this morning, and we're going to look at um, Colossians 1.28. So when you think about church, uh, what is, have you ever thought about what is the purpose of church? Why do we do church? And this is one of the things that never ceases to amaze me. As I walk around and meet people in various places, um, people will say, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, that, that is such a good thing. And, and people that don't go to church and probably don't know much about the church appreciate churches. And they, I think that often the reason they, that they appreciate churches is even though they don't know all about it, they know that good things happen there. That churches care for people, they, they feed poor people, they, they do ministry. And often people who have never gone to church have kids. And they're like, okay, I've got kids, it's time to go to church. Because they know that their kids need church. And often people come to church not even for the reasons that really they should be coming. They feel like, oh man, I, I want my kids to be around people that are nice and good people. I don't want them to be a part of the wrong crowd. And, and so there's, there's all kinds of reasons that people come to church that are, in a sense, um, those are like byproducts of things that happen at church. Because God does want the church to care about people and do good things. The church should be a positive influence in its community. The church should be a good crowd where people are loved and encouraged to do things that are good. Like those are all byproducts. You know, ultimately the purpose of the church is salvation, it is discipleship, and it's encouragement. That's why God has put the church here. And so in the sense, you can understand why all those other things would flow out of coming to church. So the church is about salvation. That's, that's understanding who God is, what our personal needs are, the fact that we're sinners and we're broken, and how do we think about that? And what does it mean to have a relationship with God and to be forgiven? And then discipleship, really discipleship describes everything that the church does, including salvation, including encouragement. But, but if we think about discipleship in this, discipleship is about learning. It's about being a person who follows somebody else and learns and becomes like somebody. And that person that we're following and learning from is Jesus. So in a sense, the church is a training facility. And often people don't think about the church in that sense, but the church is where you learn to think about things. It's where you learn what is true. And it's not just where you learn intellectually what's true, but in church you're supposed to actually learn how to put into practice things that are true. Have you ever met somebody who knows things and doesn't put them into practice? You know, like you could teach kids all you want about driving in the snow. But if they don't put the things that you teach them into practice, they get into trouble by sliding off the road and crashing into things. So it's not just intellectual knowledge. It is intellectual knowledge. But it's also, how do I actually do this? And part of all those things that God is teaching us that we're supposed to be teaching and training people in church to do, um, part of that is encouraging. It is loving. It is caring for each other. Um, just that whole encouragement thing. Like church should be the place that you can't wait to get to. If, if you're laying in bed in the morning and you're kind of feeling discouraged and depressed, 
you should wake up thinking, man, I just, I can't wait to get to church because when I get to church, I'm going to be encouraged, inspired. I'm going to be around people that love me. Um, church should be the best place to go. Now, is, is that always true? Those things aren't always true. And uh, part of the reason for that is that church is full of people who don't have it all together. And uh, probably you have it all together, but if you look around the room, there's a bunch of other people who don't have it all together. And uh, one of the main things we do in church is, hey, we're, on, we're, we're all struggling and growing. That's part of what makes us gracious and loving and encouraging toward other people. And so uh, this, this morning, what we're going to consider briefly is Colossians 1.28, and it says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, that is for everybody. And, and we study God's word. Uh, one of the things I was, I got an email last week. It was about one of our Bible studies that Kathy leads. And it's this DBS Bible study. And in this email, this is what it says. DBS is based on the belief that God's word is powerful and that God's spirit is faithful to lead us to truth. So the main thing we do is we read the Bible, we try to understand it, and with God's help, we put it into practice. So I just, I love that. And we're going to just look at this verse quickly, and we're going to consider just a few things. The first one is that we're here to proclaim Christ. You know, when I talked about the impression that people have that don't know the Lord, when they think about church and their impression about church, it's usually man-centered. If I go there, this is what I get. This is what the church does for people. And they actually miss the primary part of church actually is not about you. The primary purpose of church is actually not about other people. The primary thing in the church is Jesus himself. We proclaim Jesus. We exalt Jesus. We show up to worship Jesus. And the truth is that the more that we think and understand and know who Jesus is and worship Jesus, the more we do that, the more the church is what it should be toward other people. You know, Jesus' greatest commandment, love God and love others. And part of the reason most people don't love others is because they don't actually love God. But by loving God, we learn to love other people. So the church is about Jesus. Now, Colossians 1.28, it says pro we proclaim him. A little bit earlier on in Colossians, it, it says this about Jesus. In verse 15, it says, For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Why do we worship Jesus? He owns everything. He made everything. And it says everything was created for him. You know, that's actually why we exist, is to worship God. That's why the church proclaims Jesus. You want to mess the church up? Man, just focus on people instead of God. That, that, that'll mess everything up. You want to mess up your family? Focus, have the focus of your family be anything other than God. That will mess up your family. Um, so often we focus on all the things we think our family needs, and the more we try to help people with things, the more our family breaks. And that's true of your life. It's true of everything. It's true of the church. 
God is the priority. We proclaim him. This is what the, um, it says in Philippians 2. It says, uh, talking about Jesus um, coming and taking on humanity. Look at verse 9 there, a uh, few, few lines down. And it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. We expect people in heaven to worship God. Who are, who's in heaven? Angels, right? People who have died and gone to heaven. So we expect everybody in heaven to be wor- bowing their knee to Jesus. That's what should happen. So that everyone in heaven and on earth, well, some people on earth bow their name to Jesus. I mean, some, we, some of us, we do that, right? But there are some people on earth who don't. Did you know eventually everyone on earth is going to bow their knee whether they want to or not? Uh, It goes on and it says, and those under the earth. Who's under the earth? That's Satan. That's demons. Do you expect Satan and demons to be bowing their knee and worshiping God? What about people, humans? who have lived their life in rebellion against God and they've died and they've, they stand before God and he is going to cast them into hell? Do you expect people who refuse to worship Jesus in this life, who have been sentenced to an eternity in hell, do you expect them to bow their knee and worship God? I mean, you don't. And see, here's the thing is that we can worship God willingly or we can worship God by force because Jesus and God are all powerful and eventually... Everybody will worship Jesus, including Satan. They will bow their knee, and they will, and they will proclaim Jesus is Lord. And that is going to glorify God. So here's the thing. Everybody worships Jesus at some point. And you can harden your heart today and not do that, but you will do it. And, and it's just tragic because if people worship Jesus now and if they worship t- Jesus today, they won't be forced one day when they're separated from God for all eternity to bow their knee to Jesus. And so we, knowing Jesus, we proclaim Christ. And, and often you can live in a world where people, when we think, man, that's not a good message. That's not a powerful message. Well, God doesn't care what anybody thinks about that. And if we're believers, we don't care either. Um, we care most about Jesus. So we proclaim Jesus. But then this is what we do. This is the second thing, warning everyone. Think about the words everyone. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with wisdom. And so when you think about warning, um, in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, like what is at stake in eternity is part of what we do. As we raise kids, as we talk to our friends, as we care about our family members, we are warning them. Like that is part of what the church is supposed to do is to sound a warning that without Christ, you are in trouble. I mean, it's this warning, but it's not this terrible, hateful, angry kind of thing. And it's like there's that stereotype of people who are uh, preaching hellfire and damnation and no, nah, I don't want to go to church and hear that. Uh, it's terrible. Actually, that's a great warning. But, you know, God, when he, when he warns people, he warns them with a soft heart. When you, when you read through Scripture and you read the warnings that people are given about what it means, I mean, warning people about this life, disobeying God breaks life. 
It breaks your life. It brings sorrow and pain and suffering into your life. I mean, we, we can just look around and we see people who live their life saying, I want to be happy. I am going to pursue my own personal happiness. That was the story of my life. I wouldn't become a Christian because I wanted to pursue my own happiness. And guess what? <laughs> All the things I did to pursue happiness brought pain and sorrow into my life and into everybody around me's life. You cannot find true happiness and joy apart from Christ. So we warn people about how to live this life, and we warn them about the coming eternity. Th this is uh, Acts 17, 24. I want to just read a few of these verses. And it says this. You'll int it's interesting. You're going to see all the things we've talked about, proclaiming Christ and warning and all these things. You're going to see it all in this passage. Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life to all mankind and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. I mean, God, God needs nothing. Um, God doesn't need the church. He doesn't need people's offerings. He doesn't need people... He needs nothing. We don't come worship God because he needs something from us. We worship God because we need something from him. And then this, it even says, verse 27 here, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And then he says this, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the imagination of man. And then look at verse 30, like verse 30 of, of Acts. Here's where you see Paul talk about this coming judgment. It's not like hateful and angry and mean. It's this welcoming, endearing message. <laughs> look how he says it. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so it's like this encouraging, welcoming thing saying, it's not too late. God has overlooked your problems. He sent Jesus and raised him from the dead to prove that he solved your problems, your sin problem. And so um, we warn people and we teach people. You know, Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. The book of Proverbs starts by just saying wisdom is crying out in the streets to tell people how to live their life in a wise way. You know, Titus chapter 3 says, we ourselves were once disobedient and foolish and led astray. Um, God came to tell us truth, to teach us how to live, to how to think about parenting, to how to think about life, to how to think about work, to how to think about suffering. Um, God came to explain this is how you live life. Um, somebody uh, at our Christmas Eve service, one of the points of the play was that the Bible's God's owner's manual to life. 
God came to give us wisdom. And so we teach people with wisdom. And wisdom is skillful living. Wisdom is not primarily about information. Wisdom is about can you put information to practice? Can you actually do it? And that's actually discipleship. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church isn't supposed to be creating people with big heads that know everything and then judge everybody else. The church is supposed to be full of people who know what God says and who, with an attitude of reverence, put that into practice. So we teach people with all wisdom. And then uh, the purpose is to present everybody mature in Christ. Like that's the goal of the church, is that people would be like Jesus, fully grown, mature, thinking about people the way God thinks about people, doing the kinds of things that God does. Like that's the purpose of the church. You know, um, it's interesting, life is not random. Life's not an accident. Um, when I was uh, joined a wrestling team, we had this wrestling coach, and he trained us to do things. And so he would teach us these moves that we would do. And sometimes these moves didn't work. You know, I don't know if you've ever done, like, jujitsu or any kind of physical training, and you learn, like, the philosophy of how to do stuff, and then when you try to do it, it doesn't actually work. Here's how you grab a gun out of someone's hand, and then you give somebody a fake gun, and somebody tries to grab it, they just hold on to it. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. And it was like, well, I did all this stuff. And one of the things that our coach did is he would slow us down, and he would say, no, here's how you do it right. And then we would actually practice, I would practice and I would tell the person I was going to wrestle against, I would say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a fireman's carriage. I'm going to shoot in and do a single leg. And I would tell them what I was going to do, and then I would do it. And knowing that I was going to do it, could I do it right in a way that it would work? And that's the thing is that often people ignore God's training and instruction in life. And they wonder why is my life a disaster? They ignore everything God says about marriage, and then they say, why am I struggling in my marriage? And we can have this idea that in church, life's random, and things just happen to people, and you raise kids, and not all kids walk with the Lord, and, and we just think everything in life is random. You try to disciple people, and it just, you know, nah, it just doesn't work. And did you know life's not random? And often, the reason we struggle is because we don't know what God says, and we're not putting it into practice. And we live in a world with people that think they can determine their own truth. And they think, oh, this is true for me. And then they live according to this truth that they've randomly made up. And they think that that's as valuable as what God says. You know, we train people to present people mature in Christ and a focus on scripture there is a right way to do it and when we do things it has an impact in life now this is the other thing we know we are not in control of life life is beyond us no matter what we do we don't always do it perfectly well we don't always do everything right and the truth is you could train people like for wrestling and my wrestling coach, he could train four people in the exact same way. He could do everything the right way. And if people ignore what, what he's telling them, not going to help. 
we are not in control. And so th there's two things that happen. One is we think that we're in control, and if anything goes wrong in our life, it's our fault. That's a mistake. Or we think that what we do doesn't matter. That is also a mistake. Um, God intends us to live life with humility, to do the things that God says, and then to pray and to trust him and to recognize we don't control our kids, we don't control our spouse, we don't control other people. And so we need to not be hard on people, not be hard on each other, but we need to also not ignore what God has said about life. And so for us as a church, we want to be people that do what God tells us to do. And we want to be people that uh, focus and have great effort in what we're doing. We want to have great effort. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, if you shoot at nothing, you will hit it every time? Often the reason that the church doesn't bless people the way it should bless people is because they're not trying really hard to bless people. Often the reason that people in a church are not trained the way that they're supposed to be trained is because the church is not working really hard and really purposefully at training people the way God says they should be trained. Often in families, the reason that people don't grow up to be the, who God wants them to be is because in families, we're not focusing on the right things, working really hard on the things that God has told us we're supposed to work on. And sometimes we don't do it because we didn't learn it in church. Like we went to church for 20 years and nobody ever taught us this is what God says and this is how you do that. And so we need to have a church, we need to be a church that is working really hard and working in a way that is very focused on what God says that we should do. Now look at verse uh, 29 of Philippians or Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, for this I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. You know, we work really hard, but God is the one who works. God is the one who brings fruit to things. You know, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You know, I want to end this time this morning by telling you a story. So when I was new at church here, this family visited. And, um, and, and this lady wrote me a note and just said, you know, I want to I wanna receive Christ. So I end up going to um, coffee with, with this lady and her family, and I share the gospel with her, and she prays to receive Christ, share the gospel with her husband. He says, that's wonderful, but not for me. And so then this family kind of started attending church, and, and I went around and I talked to some people, and I said, hey, can, can, you, can you reach out and try to encourage and welcome this person into our church family? And it just didn't really happen. And I'm not saying people didn't make an effort. There's two sides of every coin. You know, people reach out to you, but you need to do your part to get involved. And I'm just thinking, here's a, a, a young mom, a new believer, uh, married to somebody who's not a believer, 
and our church has a responsibility in her life. So I would always send texts, and every once in a while, every couple months, I'd go to coffee with them and sit down and talk to them, find out what was going on, pray for them. And I'm just sensing they are not connecting to our church. And so I'm trying to connect with them the best I can. And eventually I send texts, they start not responding to me, and that's just been on my heart because I'm thinking this person came to know the Lord and they're not living in a home where there's encouragement and support and there's little kids that need to know the Lord. And it just has been weighing so heavy on me. I just keep praying for that person. And uh, so anyway, I, I sent a text recently um, just to say, hey, I hope you're doing okay and praying for you. And I get this text back. They've moved to Florida, and the husband's become a believer, and they are members in that church, and they are plugged in, and everything's doing really well in their life. And, and I just was thinking to myself, um, what Foothills didn't do in her life and didn't do in their life, what I couldn't do in her life, what I didn't do in her life, God did in her life. And, and that is just such an incredible blessing and a celebration. And when we approach life and we just say, I'm going to do everything I can do, but God is the one who accomplishes his work. That's why we're praying for our, for our church. We're praying for our ministry because we want to be disciplined, diligent, and focused. And because we know that without God's help, nothing will happen. Here's um, Psalm 127. It says this, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of, tainful, uh, of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved in their sleep. See, God does the work. And so right now, 